This episode was brought to you by the great people on Patreon. Dave, Greg, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, James, Ashley, Greg and Pearl, Raul, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch War Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and welcome to a review of the scariest movie set in a hospital since the 2019 Grey's Anatomy Valentine's Day special. <laughs> so, uh, never seen it. Um, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And this is our second entry into our Halloween or really Michael Myers franchise review. We will get to Halloween 3 eventually. But for this episode, we are covering Halloween 2 from 1981. <sighs> I shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. The he's not human. Universal Pictures presents Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. Who is it? There was nothing within him, neither conscience nor reason that wasn't even remotely human. Some kind of a joke. I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. Janet, go tell Mr. Garrett we're having trouble with the phones. There is no place to hide. He will always find you. Halloween 2. More of the night he came home. And to do this right, we called in a heavy hitter, Mr. Jody Branham. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I can't believe anyone listening to this hasn't seen this movie yet. But just in case, the IMDb synopsis reads, while Sheriff Brackett and Dr. Loomis hunt for Michael Myers, a traumatized Lori is rushed to the hospital and the serial killer is not far behind her. Jody, do you remember when you first saw Halloween 2? I do. In fact, this was a bit of a holy grail kind of movie for me mm-hmm. uh, of the first five. Um, by the time I was old enough to start watching these, it was still the VHS days, pre-DVD, and... For some reason, this movie was almost always stolen from video stores. I couldn't get it anywhere. I could get one very easily. Um, Four and five were kind of new releases, you know, within the last, you know, four or five years. I was watching these about 92, 93, somewhere around in there. And I could never find two. And so I had to... I read it, actually, before I saw it. At the library, they had the novelization of Halloween, too. So I checked that out, and I read it, and it was kind of like I saw it. But um, it would would not be until late 93 till I found a video store and I could drive. I drove to a video store that had a huge horror collection. They had Halloween, too, so I grabbed it. So uh, my first five of the first five, my order of watching them was one, four, five, three, two. Oh, wow. I watched them out of order, so. Oh, wow. Jackson, what about you? When did you first see Halloween 2? I remember exactly where I was when I watched this, this movie. I was, um, it was late middle school, I'd, I'd say like eighth grade, and I was at a sleepover. 
Uh, it was the early, early morning after a birthday party. There are four, four people, four of my friends packed into an already crowded bedroom. I mean, there was a drum set in there. It was, it was, it was cramped. Uh, and I was situated between the door and the foot of the bed. I was sleeping on the carpet. Uh, and as you can imagine, that wasn't an ideal sleep position. So I didn't catch many Z's that night. Uh, in fact, I, I don't think I, I caught any. Um, <laughs> I was I was I was tossing and turning. Hmm. Uh, but after an hour or two, I got up. I carefully danced around the body strewn about the floor, uh, and then I went into the bathroom and watched Halloween two on my laptop until the sun rose. So, uh, <laughs> depending on hmm. on how you look at it, that was either an, an amazing experience for me or or a terrible one. But I call it unique. Um, but anyway, since then I've watched it. I watched it one more time before watching it again for this episode. This is my only, my only, my third time watching it. Oh wow! It's probably the one I've seen the least out of the first four. I would say. I think I've even seen Halloween three more. Um, but I, this was my third time rewatching it, and I loved it. Yeah, I saw this. I saw the TV version when it premiered. Um, probably when I was around ten or eleven. Um, and of course, the TV version we'll talk about it. It's it's edited, and and so, you know, you didn't see everything. But uh, I eventually tracked down um, later on, years later, when I had a VCR, a time when it was like running in the middle of the night on Showtime or the Movie Channel or something like that, and recorded it, and got to see the unedited version. But Carpenter has been John Carpenter has been dismissive of the film. Uh, blames he thinks it's a poor script, and he blames his drinking habit at the time for the poor script. But I don't think it's really bad, and we'll get into it. But um, as you said, Jackson, this is one of the few sequels that kick off immediately after the end of the first film. Of course, we recently uh, recorded with Barely Ashley on another one, right? Bride of Frankenstein pretty much kicks off right at the end of uh, Frankenstein. But, you know, my one nitpick when it picks up right there on that night, and of course the first couple minutes are taken directly from Halloween 1, but when we see Dick Warlock as Michael Myers, when he's being shot, for some reason, Rick Rosenthal decided to, instead of just go with the Halloween version, to film new footage of kind of a crane shot where Michael is falling off the balcony. And you can see that he's backing up a ramp when he falls. And I, I, that always kind of bugged me. I, I like the idea of kicking it off right at the end of, of Halloween, but I think I would have kicked off the new film with Dr. Loomis running outside and wouldn't have shot that footage. That's just my opinion. But Jody, what do you think? I totally agree. It, it, uh, I, for years I would watch one, two and H2O, but like back to back and back. And that's one of the few, you know, besides Lori's wig, of course, yeah. uh, setbacks that this film has from trying to pick up immediately and happen on the same night. Yeah. What about Jackson? What do you think? Yeah, I thought that was kind of that was kind of like the beginning was kind of awkward with Michael falling. Wasn't it a different balcony too? Didn't he fall off the back yes. balcony in, in the yeah. first movie? Why did why did they feel the need to do that? I, I really, you could definitely just have the footage of the first one of Michael falling and then him not being there, and then we cut to Loomis. I shot him. Call the police. I shot him six times. You could just cut to that. I think that would be a good uh, a good opening. I don't know why they they felt the need to do that. Um, just for spectacle, I guess. And um, if you count, he actually shoots seven times. Seven yeah, times, out of a, yeah. out of a, a revolver with six, uh, with six, and 
Yeah, six cylinders. He shoots him seven times and then goes on to say the wrong figure uh, six times, about six times in the movie. So, yeah, Loomis is all kinds of messed up. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I still think it's a strong opening overall, and I understand why there's a recap. I mean, it's like a – I mean, most well, people yeah, – it's 81, seen... right? Most people hadn't – probably hadn't seen right. – Halloween since they saw it in the theater or whatever or saw the TV version and so once maybe so and the VHS yeah. was probably like $700 if you wanted to buy it yeah I read that today that when this dropped to VHS the original price if you wanted to buy Halloween 2 was $101 um, I think yeah. I'll stick with my with <laughs> streaming it on Amazon yeah yeah but I do I do like that it kicks up there and I like I'll uh, talk more about him in a minute, but I love Donald Pleasance the way he just, you know, he runs out and I love the line, you know, you don't know what death is. And then we, you know, we kick into the title sequence. And of course, the title sequence, we'll talk more about this. They've uh, Alan Holworth kind of updated Carpenter's, you know, theme with a the synthesizer, which I think just sounds, we said this on last episode with Greg Mortis, but I think just sounds really cool. But, you know, other than the seven times, seven shots and the clear ramp at the front of the house instead of the back. And other than that, I really do uh, like the, the way this film kicks off and like how they go back. So. We're introduced to the neighbors, uh, the Elrods, where Michael scores another knife, then kills a teenage girl nearby, um, which Dick Warlock said he didn't, didn't make any sense to him, and brings me to one of Rick Rosenthal, the director's gripes. And don't worry, horror fans, spoiler alert, I may criticize parts of this movie, but I love it. Um, but we get a quick kill. And that was actually shot by John Carpenter, um, I believe. And Deborah Hill and John Carpenter <clears throat> thought they had to up the body count because ironically of uh, the films like Friday 13th where Sean Cunningham has stated by his own admission for years that he ripped off Halloween. Now Halloween 2 is copying Friday the 13th. And Rick Rosenthal, the director, did not like that. Tommy Wallace, of course, turned down the... Uh, job of directing it because he didn't want to do uh, what he saw as a run-of-the-mill slasher. He wanted to be close to the feel of the original, which relied more on suspense than kills. So what do you think of all that? That's a lot, but Jody, what do you think? I agree. Um, I've always justified this kill as he needed to, because she mentions that she hears the sirens nearby. I've always justified it as he goes in there to hide, so he has to kill her to kind of hide out for a few minutes okay. while, the, while the police go. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it, other than that, there's really no need for that scene or that kill. Uh, in the television version, it's eliminated completely. Yeah. Yeah, Jackson, what about you? What did you think of the L-Rods and the kill, and did you find it necessary, or where, where are you at? Uh, I don't think it's necessary, no, but I don't mind it. I don't I don't think it bloats the movie or anything. I wasn't like checking my watch during that part. Um, actually, I, I kind of like the way it's shot when he stabs her and it's just like her chin up with the blood on it. I kind of mm -hmm. like that. It's very giallo. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it's not necessary, no, and it is just inflating the body count. But I, I like that scene, and I like how it bridges the two. He he walks into the old people, the Elrod's house, and gets a knife, and then the old lady screams, that alerts the girl, and then Michael sees the girl. So it's all, it is kind of connected. It's not just like she just shows up randomly. You know what I mean? She yeah. she's, she appears in the movie for a reason. But it, it appears to me that Carpenter and Hill thought, you know, well, this is what we're living in. These are the times we're living in with Friday 13th and, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. And and so it, it to me, it just struck me as he wanted to kill really quick. Yeah. Oh, that that's definitely what it is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that's that there's some kind of a, a higher purpose for it. Like it's actually symbolic of something. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's just like, oh, this is a slasher. We're doing this. You know, if if uh, the first Halloween was too plotting for you, if it took too long to get there, we're doing this right away. Um, and maybe or, or now that I think about it, actually, maybe it was to recreate the the intro of Halloween, how we start off with Michael stabbing Judith. They're like, we need that in this movie. Mm. Um, so that that might have been because I just thought about that. The actual the original Halloween actually does open with a with a stabbing. But um, yeah. yeah, again, I don't I don't mind that scene, uh, and I kind of like that that the Elrod. The, you want you want mustard on your sandwich, Harold? <laughs> and he's watching Night, Night of the Living Dead. I actually like that scene, and it was obviously homaged in um in Halloween 2018 with that one shot. But um, yeah, absolutely, it's it's a fun scene. I was I wasn't checking my watch like I was at some of the points later in the movie at the end of the, of the second act when people were just kind of wandering around. I I, I kind of like the beginning. All right, I'm. I'm fine with it. It just rewatching today it kind of struck me as a little out of place, especially compared to the first one. But, you know, that is what it is. Now, I will say this, apart from criticism, one of the things that I immediately love and is, is very clear, even without seeing the credits, the moment you see, you know, the shot of Loomis running out and and the kind of you know, um, steady cam that's kind of working around the neighborhood from Michael's POV sometimes. It is just absolutely apparent from the get-go that the great Dean Kundi was shooting this. It looks great. Do you agree, Jody? 100%. It's fantastically shot. What about you, Jackson? Um, yeah, yeah. This, this, it looks like, and we talked about this last time. I mean, this is something that elevates Halloween above the things that it inspired, right? I mean, we talked about Friday the Thirteenth, higher budget, but it looks worse than the first Halloween, yeah. uh, and that's because there wasn't that. The, Dean Cundy wasn't behind the the camera directing it. I mean, he just gives an air of like classical, like. It just feels important whenever he's he's shooting something, no matter what it is, even if it's Michael Myers bleeding out of his eyes. It just feels important. It feels like cinema. Well, it just he does. He lights everything so well and the camera movements are just flawless, you know, and he actually turned down the opportunity to be the DP on Poltergeist because he felt that when John Carpenter asked him to shoot Halloween 2, he, he said, I have to be loyal to John and Deborah because they gave me my career. And so he turned down working with Spielberg and, and Toby Hooper and all that kind of stuff, you know, to do to do this. But it looks just beautiful. Absolutely. And, you know, you can see why that Kundi would go on to do movies like Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Apollo 13, and Jurassic Park, because the guy's just a genius. And I know we're, you know, Jackson, you and I are kind of repeating ourselves at this point, but I, I just, you know, that is one of the big things that Sean Cunningham 
did not have with Friday the 13th as he didn't have a Dean Kundi. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Friday the 13th, the first one, would have been so, like, would have been as as well-received as the first Halloween if it had looked a little better. I don't know. But the thing is, I kind of like the way Friday the 13th looks. I kind of like that grainy, uh, close mm-hmm. and claustrophobic look to it. So, um, anyway, Well, as, then, and as I've complained, and, you know, when I— you know, I bought the Shout Factory box set of Friday 13th anyway, even though I've owned all of them and, you know, DVD and Blu-ray and all the other kind of stuff. But the one problem I have with that, and I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, especially to you, Jackson, is the problem with when you take a film like Friday 13th and you give it the 4K Blu-ray restoration when it was meant to be kind of shot in that grainy kind of way, the effects don't look as real, right? Yeah. You yeah, can I mean, see you can Kevin see, Bacon see, where that's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah, I mean that 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 kill with Kevin Bacon looks so good on DVD and, and VHS, but then once you get 4K, you know, you're like, oh, okay, well now now the cracks are starting to show. I mean, I love you, Tom Savini, but uh, you did not intend for us to watch this in 4K. No, mm-hmm. and Tom couldn't have seen that coming. But uh, Joe, do you have anything you want to chime in on that? No, I disagree with you guys. Same thing. Like uh, I, some movies, I prefer even like Evil Dead. I, DVD is as far up as I want to go when watching it, mm. uh, because for that same thing, and Kevin Bacon is the perfect example. Like that's one of the first ones. That one and uh, the first young lady in the woods. Yeah. Um, after she gets out of the jeep, hers. Her, you can see her neck prosthetic pretty clearly too, and the on the Shout Factory Blu-ray. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just, Yep, but this, you know, even though it's really dark and it still looks great, we get to the hospital, which they actually shot in two different hospitals. They shot the interior um, in downtown L.A., and they shot the exteriors at in Pasadena, uh, which had been Pasadena Community Hospital. It's now a, a, a VA, I believe. I've, I've driven past it uh, when I lived close to it. But... One of the complaints is that the hospital is so deserted. Um, Let me push back on that. Um, So Jay of the Dead, if you're listening, as a pastor, you know, I have been called to visit folks at hospitals in the middle of the night. And I've had to go look for somebody. I've had to go look through uh, down corridors and hallways to find somebody to help me find someone else. Um, It can be pretty isolated at, at night. But Anyway, so that doesn't bother me, and I think it works well for the plot. What do you think about them shifting from, you know, the neighborhood to the hospital? Jody, what do you think? I think it was a good move because it makes it feel like, you know, a different film. If they had just stayed in the neighborhood and he was stalking babysitters, you know, if his babysitter murders too, mm-hmm. for example, and you just get your repetitiveness. But, you know, changing the location and changing the setting, I think, is always good. Yeah. Jackson, what do you think? Uh, I I agree and I disagree. Um, as, as much as I like how the movie utilizes the hospital, I like the way it's shot. I do like the fact that it's empty and abandoned. It definitely makes it feel creepier. If there, if there had been people in every room, you'd be like, well, then Laurie could just be like, hey, you know, buzz in, you know, like somebody's trying to kill me. It wouldn't have been as creepy or as, or you wouldn't have felt the danger as much. But I also think that the movie loses a little something, like when it isn't out on the streets of Haddonfield. It, it feels a lot less autumnal, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like Halloween anymore. And I guess once we hit midnight, it is Technically, isn't. it's not. Yeah, but, it's right. No, no it's it's kind of it's like a Friday the 13th Part 2 kind of deal. 
Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it do- definitely feels a little bit less Halloweeny, which is something I love in, in Halloween and Halloween four. I love that feeling. So you don't really need to watch this movie on Halloween. You know, you're not losing anything. It's not like watching a Christmas story in April. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like, uh, like to that extent, you can watch this at any time of the year, which some people might see as a plus, but I don't really feel compelled to make this my, like a, a Halloween tradition because of that reason. It doesn't feel very autumnal but then again i still like how the movie utilizes the setting i mean we we established the geography of the hospital when the lights are on uh so we generally know where michael is when he's stalking the hospital at night i really like that feature like we see the the um, mirror that like mirror that looks around corners and we, we we establish that and and we establish where Lori's room is and and in relation to everything so I think they utilize the hospital well. I just think it feels less Halloweeny, which is subjectively uh, to me it, it feels uh, less exciting. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't bother me, but you know, because originally, I mean, the idea was not uh, the first time Carpenter, the first draft of a treatment that Deborah Hill and John Carpenter came up with, according to the books, taking shape and taking shape two, which are worth checking out, and. He originally, Deborah and John wanted it to be years later, and she's like living in Chicago in a high rise. And Michael Myers tracks her down and begins to terrorize a high rise apartment building in Chicago. I I prefer this. You know, I prefer, you know, kicking off right from the end of the first film and going in this direction rather than aging her. The only probably you know, uh, great thing about maybe setting it a few years later and putting her in Chicago is, as Jody said, she wouldn't have to wear that bad wig, you know, um, she had her (laughs) hairstyle any way she wanted to, but that may be in my mind, possibly the only advantage. So Jody, are you glad you went, they went in this direction instead of years later? Yeah, for sure. I like the Halloween two we got. Okay. What about you, Jackson? Uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely prefer this. I mean, we have child's play to to have a kill a slasher set in the in the high rise. We don't need we don't need Michael to be there, and that that would open up a whole new wealth of questions. Like it's like the the Jaws three thing or whatever, or the Jaws four thing. It's like how does the shark know where they are? How does Michael know that Laurie's in this high rise? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely glad we got what we got. Um, and as much as I was griping on it earlier, I do really like the direction they took it, and I love that. Like I said, it like it's it's set in the same night. I really like that idea. I love movies that do that. I would have preferred, and we'll talk about this later. I would have preferred, honestly, if they would have gone with the anthology idea. Um, yeah. but but seeing as how we got, we were going to get a Michael Myers Halloween too. This is probably the best way they could have done it. Yeah, I mean, and Carpenter didn't want to do it. His heart really wasn't in it. And and apparently the final draft screenplay he turned in, he did after drinking a little too much beer, according to him. But um, the other complaint that we get, because we get, you know, of course, Jamie Lee Curtis returns. Charles Cyphers for a bit returns. We have some returning characters, of course, you know, Donald Pleasance is Dr. Loomis. But Jamie Lee Curtis, who Quentin Tarantino argues gives one of the best performances in a horror movie in Halloween one is not given much to do here. I mean, she's, she's just, you know, aside from the wig, she's just kind of limping around or crawling around. And I don't know. What do you think of that, Jody? Is it, did, did they miss an opportunity there? 
especially coming off of the fog and terror train and prom night they yeah. definitely you know this was her i think her last horror movie before she for a long time so yeah they definitely could have given her a lot more to do she's drugged um <laughs> and what they did give her to do in the television version there's this one scene where she grabs a telephone and sits on the floor and like yeah. It's like she's dialing a number, but she's just, just like stoned out of her not not stoned stoned, but you know like like sedated out of her mind. And she's yep. like, "Mommy, he won't die, mommy." It's so bad. I was embarrassed. It's like, oh man, Jamie Lee had to do that scene, man. And I don't know if that's something that they filmed for the original cut and then dropped, or it was a reshoot or whatever it was. But it is so bad that it's embarrassing. So yeah, you're absolutely right. She didn't have much to do. Kind of limp around, hide in the car crawl on the ground. Um, she felt much more Final Girl in Halloween 1 than she does in, in Halloween 2. Yeah. But, and, and that's and, definitely the writing. Yeah, and, you know, for years, Jamie Lee Curtis said that John Carpenter's Halloween gave her a career. The only thing Halloween 2 gave her was a husband because she met uh, Leo Rossi, who plays Bud, who we'll talk about in a minute, played on a softball team with her future husband, Christopher Guest, and introduced the two. And she says, basically, that's the only positive thing she has to say about doing Halloween, too. Uh, Jackson, do you think it was a waste? I definitely think she could have done more. Uh, yeah, I, d I definitely think Lori deserved better. Um, it makes sense, I guess. She's in shock, and like like Jody said, she's sedated. Um, but, I mean, man, come on. I mean, she goes through the final girl circuit again, but this time it's with characters she doesn't know. I mean, there's yeah. the security guard, and, like, she seems really just, like, frightened out of her mind, even though she just saw Michael kill that cop. So it's like you knew this was a possibility, uh, and you don't even know that guy. Uh, so it's weird that they have her go through the, the final girl circuit again, but this time she's less useful than she was in the first one. You'd think that she'd have experience at this point, that she would she'd be an expert at escaping Michael. But um, but no, she just kind of limps around and crawls through uh, ducks to get away from to get away from Michael. Uh, and another thing that infuriates me, and maybe we'll talk about this, is the part where Loomis and the Marshal and uh, Marion pull up, and she's just like. Yeah, it's like yeah. she can't scream. But then as soon as the door closes, she can scream as loud as like, where, where, where was that? You know what I mean? I don't understand that at all. They were definitely nerfing uh, to, to use a sort of silly term. They were nerfing uh, uh, Lori. Like she has more power than than uh, than we see in this movie. She definitely could have kicked butt. But uh, yeah, they didn't write her that way. No. But we do get, you know, a good portion, 25 minutes or so of Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. And he's one of the things that really kind of saves the movie for me. I, I could listen to Donald Pleasance read the phone book. I think he's so good at exposition. And, you know, I, it's one of the highlights here, whether it's at, you know, the elementary school or, you know, when he's hanging around with a deputy or whatever. I think I just think he's fantastic. What do you think, Jody? Oh, he's a master class. Yeah. One of my biggest gripes on this whole series, and, it, and it's at least three or four of the films, he's constantly getting blamed. He's like, <laughs> oh, damn you for letting him go. And yeah. why did you your own doctor let him go? And he's like, I didn't. I didn't let him go. I ordered yeah. him for him to be, you know, over and over. But he just always keeps his cool and just like, just, you know, he understands that they're scared and they're grieving. But he, you know, he still gets the blame for everything. I, and I uh, always feel bad for him. Uh, Jackson, what do you think of Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis in this one? 
I think he's fantastic. And in both the first and the second movies, I think his performance gets a little bit uh, campier in the later movies because yeah. he was just allowed to kind of do whatever he wanted with, the, with the, the performance and he wanted to have fun. But in this movie, I think, honestly, he, his performance is just as strong as the first one. And we see a little bit more range from him, I think, honestly. I mean, he's he's less collected, but he's still cooler than you would imagine. He isn't totally manic Loomis like he is in part five. Um, he's yeah. still he still got his wits about him a little bit. Um, and it's kind of like he just at one point, I feel like he almost kind of washes his hands clean until he learns that uh, Lori is Michael's sister. He's he's like, whatever, the governor's making me come in whatever that they're going to deal with Michael. Uh, it's only after he learns that that, of course, Michael is, is Lori's sister, that he, he really dangerously fires a gun inside of the car and, and forces the yeah. U.S. Marshal to turn around. But so that is a little bit crazy. Loomis. Probably, I mean, we gave, are Marian, probably gave Marion Chambers tinnitus from exactly shooting right by her ear. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> glass shards over everybody. Really just an, a bad scene. Not a good move on his part, but he, he wanted uh, action right then. Um, but anyways, yeah, I like, I really like Loomis in this, uh, in this movie. And I, yeah, just like Jody was saying, I love the part where, where, um, Cher Sheriff Brackett has just, you know, looked at, examined the body of his daughter. Um, and he's cursing him out. He's like, how could you let him go? And just under his breath, like, like Loomis is saying it, but he knows that Sheriff Brackett isn't really listening to him. And he's not angry. He's not defensive. He's just like, I didn't, nobody listened to me. Uh, and when they're, when they're all pelting the, the Myers house with rocks, uh, he, understands why you know he's like it's a tribe they're they're just they're angry for their loss um so yeah i really like it's awake that's what he calls it i love that yeah, yeah. It's awake um so yeah definitely a great a great performance from from donald pleasance in this movie probably loomis's finest showing and and as far as effective effectiveness goes um because he actually does dispatch a michael um and he's a little bit more a, a little bit uh more commanding of the situation than he is in the first one but yeah awesome performance well you know it was funny too because i i watched the um commentary on my shout factory blu-ray of halloween 2 hadn't hadn't watched it before with rick rosenthal and Le Rick Rosenthal had his buddy, Leo Rossi, who plays Bud, sit with him and, and do the commentary with him. Leo Rossi was in acting class with Rick. They were close friends, and he had to fight to get him cast, and we'll talk about him in a minute. But he did joke that um, in the commentary that Donald Pleasance liked to bend the elbow a bit, if you follow me. Um, he was a bit of a drinker, but somehow he pulls it off, so... Maybe as he got, you know, as Jackson, he said, as he gets a little more out of control, you know, maybe that's because, you know, he, he probably need to ease back on the drinking a little bit. But anyway, yeah. um, let's talk about the, the new additions, the new cast. You know, we get the EMTs and the nurses and the doctor at the hospital. Um, you know, I love this movie, but here's one thing that even Rick Rosenthal has kind of admitted kind of bothered him. We talked about this with Greg Amortis Jackson last time. One of the things that I think makes Halloween special and gives it so much suspense is that because we get to know Lori very well, we get to know Annie and Linda, we care about them. With this group, there are so many of them, and some of them are just knife fodder, you know, and, and I think they're all good actors. I just, you know, it, they just become body count. Um, look, and Lance Guest is great as Jimmy, Leo Rossi as, as the poet, Bud, um, 
Pamela Susan Shoup as Karen, who I remember being in a crap ton of TV shows in the 80s. You know, Hunter Von Leer is the deputy who takes over kind of babysitting duties for Dr. Loomis after it's discovered that Annie is one of the victims. Ford Rainey as the doctor, as Dr. Mixter, he goes way back. That guy was in the original 310 to Yuma in the 50s. And, and you have Anna Alicia as Janet, and of course, Gloria Gifford as Nurse Owls, the taskmaster. And, and she's taught acting for years at, at AFI. But so two questions here. First of all, how do you find the supporting cast? And two, is it less suspenseful because we don't really get to know them as well as we got to know the trio of teenage girlfriends in the original Halloween? Answer that however you want. Jody, what, what do you think? I think it's somewhere in the middle. It's going to be better than your Friday the 13th because I still can't take Friday the 13th part two, for example. Mm -hmm. I It's wheelchair guy and skinny dipper woman and... <laughs> Yeah, but each but each one of the Halloween two members, even though we didn't get to know them, at least we get a little bit of their personalities. You yeah. have the the warrior that's on the walk walkie talkie with Bud. You have the the hard ass nurse. Um, yeah. You get a little. Everybody's uniquely different, you know. Then you get to, and if you watch the television version, you get to know them a little better because mm -hmm. you know a lot of stuff is replaced with just scenes of them talking about like medical stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. But so to me, the Halloween, at least in one and two, the Halloween cast members have always been more easily identifiable than, say, Friday the 13th, for example. Well, and you may be on to something there, because one thing I, I will say is they do have chemistry. And I didn't know till I listened to the commentary. That's because nearly every single member of the hospital staff, with, this, with the exception of, you know, Ford Rainey, who plays Dr. Mixter, but almost all of the entire hospital staff were in the same acting class together with Rick Rosenthal, the director. So they all knew each other. They'd all been acting with each other for a while. So, but uh, Jackson, what do you think? I, I love the supporting cast. Uh, I think that, I think they're, it's, it's just odd. There's so many little odd characters in this movie. Like that was an odd choice to put them in the movie. I mean, I'm thinking of the beatbox cowboy kid, like, what? Who thought of that? Who was like, yeah, this kid needs John to be on Carpenter. Set. I guess so. Uh, John Carpenter shot that scene because after they they were in editing, Rick Rosenthal did not have final cut. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had final cut, and so one of the things Deborah Hill complained about was, wait a minute, how does Michael Myers know where the hospital is, where she's at? And so John Carpenter went and shot that scene. So that the kid runs into Michael Myers while that's saying that Laurie Strode was taken to Haddonfield Memorial. That's certainly an interesting way of going about an expo exposition dump. I mean, let's have a kid with a boombox tell Michael inadvertently where Laurie is. I think, honestly, he could have, like, walked up to a display and there could have been TVs talking about it and then he just walks off. But uh, And another thing I like is in that scene when the, the, the boombox kid is walking towards Michael, you can see he's kind of smiling, like, waiting to bump into to Dick Warlock. You can tell he's like, he's like, oh, here it comes. I'm going to bump in. This is my big moment. 
you can kind of see him like flinching, like getting ready for his action. Well, I believe um, that's Dick Warlock's son too. One of his, he's got two oh, really? sons in this. And I, yeah, I think that's one of his sons. Yeah. There you go. Keep it all in the family. That's what we do here on the podcast. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love all the, the more main side characters, I guess you could say. I love Bud. Uh, he's such a weird character. Um, and, and I love that, that hospital lounge scene room. And I think that marks the only time I actually prefer the TV edit to the theatrical edit, because I love the, I remember seeing this on TV, um, in the part where, <laughs> the part where they're in the lounge together. Um, she's like, every other word you say is either hell or hell or damn. Every other word you say is either hell or hell or damn. <laughs> Why do I think there's an extra hell in there? And it's so funny the way it's edited. Uh, and then and then Bud goes, well, I guess I just a lot. And it's like yeah. really awkward, but I love the TV edit um, there. And and then he's like, when when Jimmy's walking out, he's like, just take advice from old Bud. Would you take advice from old Bud? I don't think <laughs> I don't think I would. I don't he's think on duty. Would. He's on duty ambulance driver smoking weed in the lounge of a hospital. Yes, smoking weed in the lounge <laughs> and making out with one of the nurses in a, in a hot tub and like a therapeutic hot tub. <laughs> In a night where there's a serial killer on the loose, old Bud does not have the best judgment. I don't think Jimmy should be taking advice from him. Well, that and with that accent, you know, he may be in witness protection program. You know what I mean? He's he did not grow up in Haddonfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love old Bud, and and Jimmy is is he's a really sympathetic uh, character. You expect him to kind of be the guy, the the dashing guy who's going to save the day, but. No, not really. They they kind of subvert that. You expect it to be him and Laurie at the end, but he's kind of useless. It turns out he's just he's just a nice guy who 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 doesn't really have what it takes to. Uh, well, to, we to do to his. To be fair to poor Jimmy, he he does have a concussion. At he one has point. a major concussion. Oh yeah, like dude can't even can't even sit up. Um, but, uh, he tries, he tries to start the car. I don't know how he thought he was going to drive in that condition. I mean, he could barely talk. I don't know how he thought he was going to drive away. Probably should have just said, oh, hey, Lori, please take the wheel for me. I can barely sit up. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like Jimmy. Um, I like, I like Karen. Yeah. I like all the nurses and, uh, and Mrs. Alves, Mrs. Alves, uh, played by Gloria Gifford actually reminded me, I watched Stuck recently, the Stuart Gordon movie. Uh, and the main character works in a retirement home, and she has a a kind of domineering uh, nurse over overseer above her. That's kind of like like Miss Alves in this movie. Uh, she does not get drained of her blood uh, <laughs> and uh, have Jimmy slip on it. That does not happen in Stuck. Spoiler alert, mm -hmm. um, if you're expecting that. But um, I don't know. Maybe that would have added a little flavor to that movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyways, I, I love, I love Marion returning. I could talk about this for hours. It's got a big cast. I mean, compared yeah. to the first movie, it's got a big cast. Um, Mr. Garrett as the security guard, poor Mr. Garrett. He was just trying to do his job. Um, but, uh, I guess you could say that about everybody. Anyways, great, great extended cast. Um, lots of fun little side characters and cameos. Cameo from Dana Carvey. I don't Dana know if you guys That's caught that. Say, yeah. What yeah. a weird addition to this movie. Um, I guess was, this was before his big break on SNL. Well, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, it was years before that. In fact, the only two things from the 80s I remember him in is this and what is it, two quick scenes. And he was in a a, a movie that even Dave Dr. Shock Becker hates called Tough Guys. Um, with Burt Lancaster and um, Kirk Douglas. And he plays their, like, uh, parole officer. 
And that's the only two things I saw him in before he started to show up on SNL in the late 80s. So was it a comedic role? It's got comedy in it, but he's not he's not playing it for laughs. Okay, that's an odd choice. You'd think if he would audition, he would make small talk and be like, oh, this guy's funny. We should have him be a funny character. Yeah. Um, That took uh, him a while. It it did, but uh, yeah, fun fun seeing him. It's it's really odd. You're like, oh, hi Dana, what are you doing yeah. here? Yeah, but um, of course this is a slasher, and we can't talk about an eighty slasher without talking about the kills. You know, we can't talk about any post Halloween nineteen seventy eight slasher without talking about them. I know what my favorite is, um, and then I'll ask you guys, give you guys a second to think about what your favorite is. My favorite, I've always loved this, and I remember even years after seeing this, this sticking in my mind, Tawny Moyer as Jill gets a scalpel in the back, and Michael Myers picks her up, um, and her shoes drop. And I love that, and I, um, Rick Rosenthal, I heard him talk about it, and, and just hanging on, having those shoes drop, I love that little touch. That's my favorite kill in the movie and there are quite a few of them i know what dave doc makes dave dr shock becker you know quiver you know the claw hammer claw hammers freak him out but what about you guys do you have a favorite kill and if so what is it and why jody go for it uh, i just have to echo you uh, mine's tony moyer as well i've always loved the shoe drop i can't remember that happening in any other movie. So I've always thought that kill is unique of all the 80s slashers. Also, I love that, that it's become a meme. It's used for all different kinds of things or like something snuck up behind you or, you know, I, I see it periodically as memes and I just love that. Yeah, me too. Jackson, what about you, buddy? Yeah, I love that 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 kill as well. The hot tub kill is up there for me, but I, I think the the scalpel one is is my favorite because it's kind of like kind of paying homage to Bob's uh, death in the first one, but more graphic. And uh, and yeah, the shoe drop is fantastic. And as soon as he throws her to the ground, the dun 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 music starts, yeah. and it's just that's like a per it's perfect needle drop right there. Um, I love that. Uh, and then it starts the, the final chase, of course. And and yeah, I love that kill. I, there isn't a really weak kill in the movie. Um, like I said, I even like the one of, of the, the teenage girl in the beginning getting stabbed from from like in her chest. I kind of like that. I think probably the weakest one would have to be the Marshall guy who just gets slid across the throat. It's a convincing yeah. kill. I mean, it, it doesn't look bad. But he, he sticks out his tongue a little bit, which is a weird choice. Um, and he was just being stupid just so they could get another kill. You know, no, I don't think any police officer would really do that. Be like, oh, this guy with a knife. I'm just going to, ooh, what's this guy's deal? Just kind of look at him. Um, I think he would probably keep that gun pointed at him. Oh, but, I'm sure um, Shane the Maniac just cringes at some of these you know, yeah. scenes as a cop because he, you know, on his podcast, he talks about no police officer would do that. No police officer would do that. I'd love yeah. to hear him talk about Halloween, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. there, I don't think there's a weak kill in the movie. Uh, some of them feel unnecessary, as you said, but it's a slasher movie. I mean, they're they're fr from the, the early 80s. Most slasher movies had unnecessary kills because they were just trying to push the limits of what they could show. Yeah, I mean, they doubled the body count uh, for this one from the original yeah, you know, in the original, there are five dead total, one off screen, right? When Michael kills the poor guy from the garage to get his 
you know, to get his outfit. Um, and, and Judith and then, you know, Bob and Linda and Annie, you know, those are the five kills, six if you count, you know, the poor dog. Um, but here we've got uh, 10, I think, um, total. And so, you know, like I said, some of these were reshot by Carpenter because he, you know, he infamously referred to Rosenthal's first cut as scary as an episode of Quincy. Um, and so he goes back and, you know, he, he he kind of bloodied it up a little bit. And you can debate whether or not, you know, if we got the Rosenthal cut, I'm not calling for this to become a hashtag on Twitter or anything. <laughs> um, I'm just saying if we ever, you know, kind of could piece together the Rosenthal cut and take out the Carpenter stuff, it might be interesting to see what he what he wanted. I mean, um, because the guy does have talent. I mean, he went on to do in 83, he does Bad Boys, which is a good movie. American Dreamer, which is an underrated movie, in my opinion, in 84. He's done some good stuff, Rick Rosenthal. Um, the guy does have talent. But but anyway, um, the one thing I do know that Dr. Shock has talked about, we do get the trope of the cat jump scare. Um, can we retire that from horror movies, please? Cats don't screech like that. They don't jump out like that. <sighs> Jody, you're not a fan of the cat trope, are you? I am not. I am a cat lover, and I feel those are very slanderous. Uh, there you go, Jackson. <laughs> Jackson, are you are you with us? Let's ban the 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 cat trope. Yeah, you know how I feel about the cat jump scare and the ball against the window jump scare, or the and we get this a couple times the hand on the shoulder uh, false jump scare. It's fine when there's actually a threat, but this happens so many times. I mean, it's just like oh, it didn't mean to scare you. It's like then why would you grab them from behind? You you should speak first and announce yourself. Nobody does that in real life. Just like oh, you know, unless they're trying to scare you. Um, so I, I really don't, um, I really don't understand why they felt the need for false jump scares in this movie. I mean, we have gore, just save the scares for when there's an actual scare. Um, but yeah, definitely time to retire the, the cat jump scare. Um, unless the cat is attacking, maybe if if it's a real jump scare with the cat, that's fine. But the cat false jump scare, get it out of there. You know, that's, that's, that's just as bad as like, a. Uh, I'll be back or whatever, you know, like like all those classic movie slasher uh, cliches. Let's just retire them. You know, it's not fun. It's not meta anymore. Just yeah. Point. I mean, my you know my younger sister always had cats growing up, and I never ever heard one even make that noise unless it was fighting another cat. Um, that's the only time they do that. But anyway, so we discover, and this is teed up in the TV version of the original when they had to pad some timing and Carpenter had to go back and shoot some more stuff for Halloween 1978 for it to be on TV. And it's kind of teed up there that Laurie Strode is actually Michael Myers' sister. Now, if you go, and I know Jackson, you and I have done this, if you listen to Quentin Tarantino's interview with Eli Roth, uh, the unedited interview, which you can find on iTunes, Quentin Tarantino hates this twist that Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' sister. Do you think this twist has held up? John Carpenter says he regrets it, that he doesn't think he should have done it. But what do you think of the twist, Jody? I grew up with it, so it didn't. I didn't really ever think anything of it otherwise. I guess having, having seen them, you know, four and five at pretty much close to their release, 
it's just something that always was for me. So I never gave it much attention. Mm-hmm. Now that we have the Blumhouse version where it's not, I can see all the merits. I see their points, first of all, like when they're yeah. talking about it, because, you know, having seen them in real time also, or like the, the need to, the compulsory need to explain everything or spoon feed the audiences and things like that, or to give things purpose. I think it's scarier to not do so, to show less, to explain less. And for me personally, I uh, like the fact that she's not a sister better now, now that we've been presented with an alternative that is very, very good, in my opinion. So, Right, right. Jackson, what do you think? I agree. I, I don't I don't like the the sister reveal. Um, I don't hate it while I'm watching it. I don't like groan. Um, but I, I just know in the back of my mind, it was just there to have like an Empire Strikes Back twist. I mean, that was the idea, right? They're like, we need to we need to tie this in somehow. We need to have a, a gasp, a, a drop your popcorn moment. It really didn't need that. And and but like Jody said, it is Michael so much more interesting when there's no reason for you know, there's there's no reason to rhyme. He's just killing because he's the he's shape. the he's the boogeyman, and she happened to show up at his front door, right? And so he just fixates on. Her. I mean, we see that it's like like um yeah he shows she shows up, puts the key under the mat, and he's he sees her, he walks out. We see the same kind of thing in the, the beginning of this movie. I mean, that girl walks out uh, checking on Mr. and Mrs. Elrod. And Michael is, kills her, you know what I mean? He just sees her, gets fixated on her, and kills her. I really don't think it's any deeper than that. I don't think it's the fact that she's his younger sister, because what? why wouldn't he have just killed her earlier, you know what I mean? Like like when he was a kid. I don't understand why. It just, it just, it it tries to explain, but it makes things more complicated, because it well, opens up it, the door for that later. Oh, a thorn plot, and it's all connected. We have to explain oh, every gosh, every yeah. part of Michael. You know, Michael's actually supernatural. Once you start explaining Michael, you're open to all kinds of conspiracy theories and fan fiction, you know what I mean? So just, just keep it simple, stupid. Michael is the shape. That's all you need to know. Well, and it also, by retconning this and making them brother and sister, doesn't it make Lori, uh, Lori's adopted father kind of a twisted jerk to send her to g- go drop the key off at the house where her real sister was slaughtered? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is. Yeah. And, and, and how quickly, first of all, how quickly she Lori forgets. I mean, th- we get that flashback. She looks like she's 10 or 11 when she's asking right. her adopted mom. Yeah, she's it's supposed like, to be she 17 just, here. So yeah. it's not that long ago. Oh, she just forgot that. It's so weird. And she visits Michael. And by the way, I hate that, that those shots of Michael with his cheesy smile in the insane asylum. Yeah. I really hate those, those shots. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just it's so weird so weirdly i maybe if they'd shot it and she'd been like four and visited him once and then they it didn't work out well maybe michael tried to attack her or something so they just cut off all ties and lied to her later on about who she was that would have made more sense but the way they pull it off in this movie just just doesn't hit the mark for me yeah well what about speaking of michael dick warlock as you know michael myers which i love the way he got the gig you know that he was walking on a meet with Rick Rosenthal and he saw the Michael Myers mask laying on a desk. So he just picked it up and walked into Rick Rosenthal's office without saying anything, just stared at him with the mask on in order to get the gig. You know, that's fantastic. But Deborah Hill later, you know, God rest her soul, but Deborah Hill later complained on a commentary, like a DVD commentary. She didn't like the way he played Michael, didn't think it matched with the way Nick Castle did it to which dick warlock replied well you were the producer and you were on set every day all you had to do was tell me that you didn't like it 
Um, but I really like Dick Warlock as Michael. I do think it's a shame the mask doesn't quite fit. I mean, Dick Warlock claims it's the same one from the first one, but they don't, it doesn't really look the same, especially the hair, but, but whatever. But Jody, what do you think of Dick Warlock as Michael? He, I think he did a good job. Uh, I actually met him in person. He had some pretty interesting stories, more about being in the shark cage in the movie Jaws than he did as Michael. But mm. um, uh, it's been my goal to meet all seven adult Michael Myers. I've met four of the seven so far. Ooh, which, four it, you, which four have you met? Uh, Nick Castle and right. Dick Warlock and Tyler Maine and James Jude Courtney. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah, fantastic. Met, yeah, I met Dick Warlock. He came to Toledo to one of our haunted haunted attractions. And you went through the haunted attraction, then and then you got to have a meet and greet with him, and it was really cool. He signed my Halloween two DVD. Uh, just really nice guy, and I, I think he did well. I I never thought that you know he looked that different than Nick Castle myself. I mean, he's a little more rigid maybe, but uh, exactly right. It's exactly how I felt. Like actors' performances are the responsibility of the director. Yep. So if they're if you're not vibing with it you know you gotta like do it right then and there or you know after you watch your dailies and things like that so i totally agree with with his response to that but i think he did great yeah i do too jackson what do you think i like his performance i, de I definitely like dick warlock in this movie he is stockier he is a little bit more rigid um and but i think the movement thing kind of makes sense i mean the guy's taken six or seven shots to the chest right i mean or well, more than that at that point i mean well, when we see him at the very end He's taken seven shots plus, what, the five that Loomis unloads right. in him? So he's just riddled with bullet holes. He's and, had and a rough gets, day. Yeah, so I understand why he's walking real rigidly. I mean, I would, I, I get, when I have a stitch in my side after running, I, I walk like that. I can't even, can't even imagine having, like, what, 11 bullets inside me? That would not <laughs> yeah. be fun. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I definitely understand why he, he walks like he. Is a little bit stockier his head is a little bit wider maybe i don't know what it is the mask definitely does look different it might just be that it aged you know, it's just a cheap mask that they got from a halloween store yeah. and then it sat for two years you know so um it, it does make sense that it looks a little different but um if it is the same mask i like that that i that attention to detail i like that they, dick it, warlock the, says it's the same mask and yeah. that deborah hill confirmed that and nick castle's always been mad because um he wanted it back and Dick Warlock kept right. it. So <laughs> I'm sure it's just I'm sure it's just it's just tatters now. I'm sure it's not even you'd have to preserve that thing really well for to, to keep it together. Because like we said, it was like I said, it was really really cheap materials. They just spray painted a William Shatner mask. And I can tell you that in 1977 or 78, when they got that mask, William Shatner masks were not being made with the best of care. I mean, if <laughs> if it was the cheapest mask they could get, it's yeah, definitely not not made to last. But uh, yeah, I I like the look. Are you saying uh, that a William Shatner mask in 1977 could have possibly come from a sweatshop? I, uh, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, yeah, they, they were not making this at, at Fright Rags or whatever. They were, this is not the highest of quality. Um, but, uh, and I, I like the way he looks. I especially, I mean, that image at the end with his bleeding eyes, that's just, that's classic right there. I, I love that, that look. We do, hit the mask does actually look a little different. Maybe it's just because Dick's head was bigger or something. I don't know. Like, his, you can see his eyes a lot easier. Is that, that just me? I feel like you can see Michael's yeah. eyes. Maybe it's the way it's lit. But in the first movie, they were just kind of shadows there. Um, but in this, in this one, especially towards the end, we can see his eyes a lot, a lot more, um, and he gets to do some eye acting. 
which I feel two ways about. I don't know. I, I kind of, I like the idea that it's just when the mask is on. I mean, obviously in the first movie, we, his mask comes off and we see his face and he looks all crazy. But when the mask is on, I like to think he's the shape he doesn't think or feel. Um, but in this movie and in H2O, when we see his eyes, they're kind of darting around and he's kind of like creepy. He's like, he's like thinking about how to kill you. We can see that he's actually calculating in his mind. I kind of like the idea better that it's just instinctual, you know, that he's just moving about like an animal, um, like Loomis calls him. So I don't know how I feel about actually seeing his eyes and seeing if like you can see the color of his eyes in this movie. Um, but, uh, but that image is just, just fantastic. So kudos to Dick Warlock and, and, um, and everyone, D Dean Cundy, everyone that worked on that shot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And he, he, he actually did his own kind of thing. He had the pump, uh, to pump out the blood. Dick Warlock did. He was hitting it while in that scene. So look, the movie was a hit. Um, it was made for 2.5 million and made more than 25 million. Uh, which typically, you know, Hollywood back then wanted you to have at least three times more what you put in in order to break even. Well, this made money. This made probably about $16, 17000000 million profit. It was the 12th highest grossing film of that calendar year, ahead of Friday 13th Part 2, and just behind an American werewolf in London. Yet, despite that, it only has a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Roger Ebert, who championed the original, wrote that Halloween 2, quote, represented a fall from greatness that doesn't even attempt to do justice to the original. He also commented, instead, it tries to outdo all the other violent Halloween ripoffs of the last several years. Now, rest in peace, Roger Ebert, but the critics were not were not kind to it. Any thoughts on that, Jody? Um... Not really. I mean, I, I know, uh, indeed, Rest of Soul, Roger was not generally the biggest fan of horror movies in general, but particularly not slasher. So I guess yeah. I'm not that surprised. Um, I guess, you know, I guess I don't have much thoughts on it, but I, I guess I can understand. But yeah, I don't know. I, I dig it a lot still. I, I do, too. But, you know, I, I will give Roger Ebert credit because. Yeah, I don't think he, he typically preferred kind of melodramas, but he did champion Halloween. He was one of the two big critics, um, the Village Voice and Roger Ebert, that championed the original Halloween. And he also championed Dawn of the Dead, of all movies, you know. So, yeah, he, he would occasionally surprise you with that. But what do you think, Jackson? I mean— do you think they're unfairly comparing the original and this one, or, or what are your thoughts? I, I think it's a, a fair comparison to compare the first and second movies. I mean, they are kind of one continuing story. Mm -hmm. So I think if it's a huge leap in tone, I think that is a fair assessment to make. Um, I love Roger Rebert. I love uh, watching his reviews and his various TV appearances and stuff. Um, I... I agree to a certain extent that it definitely feels different it definitely does feel less classy and i think that's the thing he liked a lot about the first halloween movie is mm -hmm. how much tension it has and how how classy it is we don't see a lot of gore or a lot of blood it's it's like he said he he likened it to psycho you know it's it's very much like that where it's it builds tension so well and it feels really gritty and violent even though we don't really see much it's more left up to our imagination um so i think it was definitely a rude awakening for him that there are a lot 
lots of of kind of boundary pushing kills. I mean, we get a topless woman being uh, over and over again dunked in a steaming hot hot tub. I mean, that if that isn't gratuity, I don't know what is. Um, that, that John Carpenter was like really pushing it there. Um, it, although not really, because I mean, my bloody Valentine and stuff like that was was doing stuff like that as well. Um, so I mean, it was just par for the course. And I think that was that was Roger Ebert's problem is that Halloween used to be classier. It used to be, it was like the proto slasher. And then all the slashers that came after it were pale imitations, as he called them. Um, and he thought that this was trying too much to be like that, to try to jump on the train that it had started going. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I disagree in that I enjoy the kills. I enjoy slasher movies. So I understand where he's coming from. I know what he likes. He doesn't like slashers. He doesn't like violence against women and gory kills. Um, so I understand where he's coming from because I, I, um, I acknowledge that it is gorier and that it is a little bit sleazier. It is a little bit trashier. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyways, it's, I, I understand where he's coming from. I disagree because of my personal tastes in horror movies. Um, but, but like Jody said, Roger was, was his, his opinions on horror were, were hit or miss. I mean, some great horror movies he loved, some bad horror movies he loved, some great horror movies he hated, you know what I mean? He was kind of all over the place. With he did famously before he died say that he was wrong because he initially trashed John Carpenter's The Thing. And he later admitted years later that he was wrong. And so, you know, he would he would occasionally repent of his critical sins. But right. anyway, <laughs> you know that. So we have Jody, you've mentioned this several times. There is like if you get the Shout Factory Blu-ray, um, which I have the steel book there, there's it has both the theatrical version and the TV version. And so I know you've seen it, um, Jody. Is it worth people tracking down? Do you think it's worth their time? Only people who watched this as a kid who, on the network television version or had possibly recorded it onto a VHS, they're going to get some nostalgia okay. there. Um, I, I actually see that a lot in some reviews of it. Like, oh, this is this is how I watched it when I was a kid and things like that. But any, anybody who's new to it, I don't recommend the television version. Um, it's not just because the language and violence are trimmed, although that does have a part of it. It's just that they had to, I don't know, they did a better job with the television version of Halloween 1, padding it with mm -hmm. a couple extra scenes that at least tried to mean something. If you watch the television cut, you're going to get a lot of scenes of walking around, of Mrs. Alves walking around, yep. of Jimmy walking around. Of extended scenes where they're giving Lori like a shot at the sedative and stuff that goes on for probably a good another minute or so than the mm -hmm. the theatrical cut goes. So you're gonna get a lot of tedious tediousness and redundancy, and it just doesn't have the bite as you would expect. A I believe it was NBC is where it came out. Like in NBC, 19 you know mid 80s, you know edited for television movie. You're not you're gonna lose all the bite from this movie. So I I don't recommend it if you don't have it already. It's a neat, I, I have the 10 DVD, or I'm sorry, 10 Blu-ray Shout Factory yeah. set that came out. And man, I wish I had those steelbooks though. Those are, those are going to be gorgeous in October, but, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, if it, you know, as I really enjoyed having that and watching that and experiencing that, you know, I, I kind of wrote up some notes, like compare contracting, contracting, or contrasting them. Right. Uh, <laughs> It, it, and they did fix the uh, six shots thing. He he does only fire six shots in the television version. That's all, <laughs> all seven in the theatrical. 
And Bud's Bud, I think Jackson missed it. The Bud's dialogue replacement in the television yeah. version is absolutely hysterical. So um, th- there are some nice perks to have with it, but I wouldn't if it's not something. If you're not a collector, if you're not a you know Halloween franchise fanatic, I would just say don't don't bother with it. Jackson, what about you? I'm interested to see it. I mean, I, I, I love different cuts of all kinds of movies. Even if it's a, a movie I've never seen before, I'm like, oh, maybe I should buy this version of it just, just to watch it. That four-hour-long director cut, ooh, what's this? Uh, and especially if it's a movie I've seen a million times, it's really nice to shake it up and be like, oh, I recognize this shot is going on for longer. Um, I like that kind of stuff. I still need to watch Halloween 78, uh, the the TV version, and I need to watch it in black and white as per Greg Amortis' recommendation. But definitely want to watch the Halloween 2 TV cut. That'll probably be the way I watch it next time. Just because I I like shaking things up. I like like seeing what's different. And whenever I watch an extended cut of something, it makes me feel like the filmmaking process even more. Like when I see these reshot scenes or re-edited scenes, it's like, oh, I can imagine them in the edit bay putting this together whereas with the theatrical version it usually feels a little bit more whole with extended cuts i'm like oh i see why they cut this or 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 rearrange this or whatever and that's fun for me that it really like feels like i'm like i'm doing homework you know like i'm doing film homework so i love that kind of stuff like watching watching all kind manner of james cameron extended cuts is like doing homework you're like oh that's added in yep visual effects aren't done in that part yeah uh, which I love. So definitely looking forward to seeing the TV edits of both the first and the second Halloween movies. Uh, beyond that, I'm not so sure. I'm not, I don't think I want to see an extended cut of Halloween Resurrection. Well, yeah, uh, we'll get there. But I, you know, I watched the TV um, cut today at lunch, and I, I'm with Jody on this. It was I, I have seen it because that's the way I first saw it, so it was nostalgic. But other than that, I don't think it really adds to it. And when you see you know, the theatrical version, it's just got more kick to it. So, but, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, there are some things in it that are kind of funny. Uh, but other than that, I, I can do without it. But let's talk about the ending. The showdown between Loomis, uh, Loomis and Lori taking on Michael. And, you know, it, it has a fiery ending, which, which by the way, that was um, uh, Dick Warlock explained that they used too much explosives like you could see one of the doors fly off and the stunt woman playing Laurie Strode was knocked down. That was not planned. Uh, they used just way too much stuff when they blew that thing. So, and Dick Warlock also got burned during the burn walk. But what do you think of the ending? Satisfying, Jody? Very satisfying. And I do have one thing to say about it, though. If there's anything of the whole franchise that bugs me, this is the thing that bugs me more than anything, is I don't... I've asked people, is she shooting his eyes out? Yeah. Because, and then everybody's like, yeah, I think so. But like, that's not really, you know, yeah, he's full of holes and you kind of get the supernatural element. But I mean, I still feel like if you shoot even like a monster's eyes out, it's going to be blind forever, you know, kind of thing. So like, I I feel like that that plays, we just have to kind of ignore that element that she shoots his eyes out for Halloween four, five, six and onward. Yeah. But other than that, I think it's a very well shot. I think it was like, oh, I love the line. Michael, it's time. It's time. Yeah. yeah. So it's very satisfying. It feels very final. Um, I think it should be final. I wish we could go back in time and shake some people and say, hey, this is okay. Let this anthology thing happen. We don't, I'm, yeah. you know, we don't need 
you know, I, I mean, we do need, let's be honest. <laughs> I do love the, like the Jamie Lloyd movies, um, mm-hmm. at least, at least for four. But so, I mean, I don't know. I, I always like, like fight with myself about it internally. It's like, well, you know, what would, it, what if we could have had some really cool Halloween anthology movies, but, uh, I'll, yeah, those, I, I, it's hard for me to get past her shooting his eyes out, but other than that, it's a very satisfying scene and a good All conclusion right. to the, to the, uh, night he came home. Yeah. Jackson, what do you think? I, I like the ending as well. That does bug me. That is, his eyes are shot out, but we can still kind of see his eyes, like when he's gripping at his face. So I'm not really sure. Maybe she shot shot him in the brain, like right above his eyes, that there are no holes in his mask. That does bother me a little bit. Another thing is, man, she is a great shot. Two dead in his <laughs> eyes or, or right above or below when her hands are shaking and she wasn't even sure she wanted to pick up a gun. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, I, I guess Mr. Strobe was taking her to the gun range. But, um, but yeah, I, I really like the ending. I definitely think it should have been final. I, I would have loved, and again, yeah, I love Halloween 4, and I, I love Halloween 2018, but I mean, I guess Halloween 20, 2018 could have come about uh, without those later sequels. In fact, it probably would have been less confusing if it did. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I really would have liked to seen what John Carpenter would have done with the series. Like, after 3 what would four and five have been? You know, I really would like to see those those Halloween anthology things. Um, and I was thinking, like, even if they hadn't done this one, you know what I mean? Like, originally, John just wanted to keep going with the anthology thing. Um, I was thinking, like, why don't they just do the thing they did in Halloween three, like from then on out, where it's like Halloween is a movie in this universe, you know, or whatever. So we can acknowledge Michael Myers while still having a different story. Well, and they um, do that in Halloween three. They do because right. you've got the Halloween commercial on TV. But right. it, I mean, we'll talk about this probably next Halloween. But the you know what happened was Halloween three and the Eyes of Universal was a flop. Yeah, and, that's and why I, I understand. I understand why they brought back Michael. Um, I think that, honestly, as much as I like this movie, and that'll be reflected in my rating, honestly, it probably would have torn the Band-Aid off cleaner if they had just started with anthology movies from Halloween 2. You know, if they had just ended it, ended Halloween, Michael Myers' story in the first Halloween and moved on, um, that would have made it a little bit less less hard to, to get over Michael Myers. But... This is the reality we're living in. We got Halloween 2, and then Halloween 3 flopped, uh, so we got Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. So um, anyways, yeah, I think this should have been the end for, for Loomis and Michael. It does bug me that Michael and Loomis clearly are dead at the end of the movie, and then they come back with minimal injuries. Uh, Loomis has a burn on his cheek, and, and yeah. Michael has bandages at the beginning, but then he's fine for the rest of the movie. Really not sure how that works, but um, but uh, yeah, it's it, this is a great ending. I love the shot of of Michael's mask melting away in the fire. That's such a cool shot. Kind of reminds me of the opening with with the the skull inside of the pumpkin. Um, I'm wondering if that was if that was intentional. If that's like imagery, that's a, a uh, visual motif. Maybe, but Carpenter actually shot the melting mask that wasn't yeah. Rick Rosenthal. And Rick Rosenthal did the opening with a skull, but who knows? I, um, I, and that, that harkens back to, I wonder what 
what Rosenthal's cut would have looked like. Would Michael have just, it would have blown up and then that would have been it. We wouldn't have seen his body burning. And so that was, that was Carpenter's choice. I'm not really sure how Rosenthal would have ended the movie, which is another reason why it would be interesting to watch his cut of the movie. Again, not calling for a, a Snyder cut uh, type thing. Um, but uh, because I don't even think they could, they probably burned all the, the film stock that they, they used for this movie. Unfortunately, we know that, uh, you know, in that era, they were not very protective with, with their, their yeah, film. there some of the deleted scenes still exist. You can see them like the, you know, and some of them were actually restored to the TV version. Like when the generator, one of the reasons it's so dark in the hospital is the power goes out and they're relying on an emergency generator. And yeah. there's a scene in the TV version that shows that happening. So, you know, and that was Rick Rosenthal and Carpenter originally cut that out. He thought it was too long. You know, it's interesting Rosenthal, if you look, there are two editors listed in the credits. The first editor was working with Rick Rosenthal in a room, getting his cut together. The second editor was in a separate room with John Carpenter, <laughs> recutting Rosenthal's cut. <laughs> so uh, you can understand why Rick Rosenthal is not, uh, he's not sending Christmas cards to Mr. Carpenter. You know, that's... That ain't happening. Uh, he wasn't very happy with him, but, and I'm a huge John Carpenter fan, but even his friends like Joe Dante say he can be a little, little surly, um, a little difficult to deal with, but, uh, so be it. So what else do we want to talk about here? Any other notes that you guys have? Jody? I just have one. I want to talk about how with considering with the new Blumhouse Halloweens, this movie is erased. Right. What what impact that happened in this movie is undone by that. And the cl biggest one that I have been waiting for and excited about is the possibility that Ben Tramer is still alive. Ah, that, that so is a possibility, isn't it? I was so excited. Are they going to bring back Ben Tramer? Or is he? Because yeah, they talk about Laurie having a couple failed marriages. I wondered if one was to Ben. They never say his name in, in, in part one. So I'm still holding out for part two when we get a lot of the yeah. The townsfolk, you know, and the mobs and things like that coming in in the new one. So uh, I'm really hoping to get that Ben Tramer character back. Yeah, we could. I mean, we've got, you know, it wouldn't be hard to do because uh, if this doesn't exist, we've never even laid eyes on him. Of course, we barely laid eyes on him in this one, you know, but yeah. And we've got Marion Chambers coming back. You've got Sheriff Brackett coming back. You know, you've got Tommy coming back. You've got Lindsay coming back. So yeah, it could happen. Uh, it could yeah. happen. And of course, of course, it was announced, um, you know, last night that Halloween Kills will also be debuting on Peacock as well yes. as in theaters. And um, I'm OK with that because I will see it in theaters and then I can just stream it on Peacock over and over again. So I'm I'm cool with that. I know the reviews so far have been mixed. However, I've noticed that those who are trashing Halloween Kills. Are roger ebert like and those who are saying they like it are like guys over at collider and stuff like that who are genre fans yeah so that makes me excited but jackson do you have any notes buddy you want to talk about sure yeah I, I do and something that um yeah i was thinking about when we're talking about halloween 2's erasure basically from the canon um 
you know, honestly, I don't think it's it's totally gone because as as much as, like I said earlier, as much as Halloween 2018 borrows from Halloween 1978, it borrows a lot in tone and violence and and the general feel of of Halloween 2, the original sure. Halloween 2. I definitely feel like well, it's yeah. How does Halloween much... 2018 end, and how does this one end? Exactly. Yeah, it, it's definitely like because it's it you know, and this is maybe a controversial opinion. It's basically a remake, right, of the second movie, a remake of the second movie with the title of the first movie, which is odd. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's it definitely uh, lines up well with with this movie. The the slashery kills, the more showy kills, um, it, along with the bigger cast. It definitely feels like, and like I said, the the Elrod, that whole thing with them, and it definitely feels like that one shot uh, with with Michael stalking around, and even him like bumping into the trick or treaters and stuff. That's in, in Halloween 2018. So um, so yeah, definitely that, that it's not gone completely, but. I love the idea that Ben Schreimer could still be out there. Um, and I, I wonder if maybe they'll, they'll reference uh, his death in Halloween 2 in, in Halloween Kills in a, in a subtle way. Like maybe maybe he doesn't like cops or something. I don't know. It's like it's like uh, it, it, it's just he's such a fun character. The fact that he was mentioned in the first movie just as like kind of a one off thing. They brought him back in the second movie just to be pinned to a to a van that inexplicably explodes. <laughs> yeah, such a weird little thing. It's like, why does he even need to be Ben Tramer? Um, it's such an odd choice. Uh, why was it parked there? And why was that cop going like 75 miles yeah. an hour? Yeah, he's like, neighborhood. he's like, he just, he just w- walked right out in front of me. I couldn't stop. Yes, you could. He was shuffling along. He was barely, he was, he was barely you jogging. You couldn't stop because you were driving like Justin Bieber with a brand new Tesla. That's why, <laughs> dude. Yeah, exactly. And why does that van explode? Like, it's so weird that it just like combusts. I mean, Uh-oh. we know why from a filmmaking perspective, but. But, um, but yeah, that's odd. Um, and I love well, for another question I have. Where did Ben Schreimer get that mask? Is that just the regular William Shatner mask? Because it looks white, like it's been spray painted white. So did he just have the same idea? Michael it was wear? apparently a popular mask in, in Haddonfield, buddy. What can we I say? I guess so. And the, and the canon of this movie, the Michael Myers mask is something other than William Shatner, I guess. It's just pre-made spray painted white. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I love that with Ben Tramer. Um, and another thing I wrote down from a visual perspective, and this is, um, I don't know, maybe it comes down to Dean Cundy with the lenses he chose, he chose, but the, the lens flares in this movie, I don't know if you noticed this, the lens flares in this movie look really cool. They're like mm-hmm. ovals instead of like starry kind of things. It looks awesome. I mean, I've yeah. never seen anything like it. Uh, I kind of want to get that kind of lens. It looks cool. And then another thing we get Dr. Dementia returning as a, as a horror host show <laughs> in the first movie i mean annie says that she's going to sit down with with lindsey wallace and watch six straight hours of dr dementia and then we see on the tv i don't remember who's watching it uh, maybe it's a nurse in the mr. hospital yeah well mr elrod first right he's watching oh night living dead. dead that's right yeah that's like dr dementia i love that that's a, that's a fun little touch hey, you um, get this you get the section from the cemetery where you and I have been. Yes, what well, I have recreated the the zombie coming to get Barbara in the actual cemetery um, from Night of the Living Dead. And we also visited, speaking of Roger Ebert's uh, favorite movies, we also vid- visited them all from Dawn of the Dead in that same yep. trip. So, yep. um, And I came out of the elevator uh, that... Uh, Flyboy, I guess, as as a zombie comes out of, and there was an old lady waiting to actually, because it's still a functional elevator. There was an old lady waiting to go in the elevator, so I come out like a zombie, and she's just like, "What is going on?" And we both cracked up. I still have that video. That's that's great, but um, but yeah, I I love I loved that. 
But anyways, um, another thing I, t- I took in, I, I wrote down, this movie, if you take into account the recap and the longer credits, it's the same length as the first movie. Um, but really? it, def- it definitely feels longer to me. It's yeah. like, it, maybe it's just worse paced or maybe I'm not as attentive, but it definitely feels less, less like, um, less kinetic to me. Um, I guess that means the pacing is worse for me subjectively. Um, but, uh, but yeah, with, with the recap and the longer credits, cause the credits are longer and there is that recap in the beginning. Once we get to, to actually Loomis out on the yard talking to the neighbor, it's the same length. Um, so I guess the pacing is just worse. Um, and, uh, another thing, my, my last note, Mr. Sandman is an odd song choice. Am I, am I alone in that? That's a really <laughs> weird choice to open and close the movie. What, do you guys have any ideas as to why Mr. Sandman is, is the, the, the choice? I don't because in the commentary, they don't even really, um, Leo Rossi says that that song gives him chills, but they don't comment on why it was used. And yeah, that may have not been Rick Rosenthal's call. Jody, do you know anything about that? Uh, nothing, nothing whatsoever. Yeah, because they don't. I've never heard anybody really talk about that. Must have been, you know, a Deborah Hill or John Carpenter decision that they just thought was, you know, creepy or something. It, I guess it I definitely seems more like something that would fit Freddy, right? Freddy Krueger, Mr. Yeah. Sandman would fit him better. I'm not really sure why. It's it's it is kind of funny though. I mean, like like Michael's face melting away in the fire to this like happy you know upbeat song. That's kind of funny, um, kind of darkly comedic for the for the early eighties. Um, but uh, and I like the way the way at the very very ending. I don't know if we touched on this, but the editing of it where it's just his face burning, then it just cuts to credits. I kind of like that. It's it's uh, it's funny, but um, but yeah, odd song choice. Overall, though, I mean, the soundtrack is just fantastic. We touched on this earlier. Uh, definitely more synth, more 80s, but it's still John Carpenter, and it's still, I mean, I could listen to that. I could run a 1,000 miles. You know, I could I could finish a marathon in less than two hours if I was listening to the, the Halloween 2 soundtrack. Uh, I love it. Yeah, we yeah. talked about that last time with Greg. It's like I, I used to do, again, mixtapes back in the day, back in the 80s and 90s, and when I would have Halloween parties, the first song on my mixtape was Halloween 2 score. Because mm-hmm. I love that synth score. Absolutely. Dad, those are called playlists today. You got to get with the uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Last time you were like mixtapes. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of mixtapes, but it's like, yeah, we're aware of the concept. It's called a playlist. We have iTunes. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm sure, I'm I'm al- almost positive that Man Behind the Mask was also on that on that mixtape. Oh, of course it was. Of course it was. <laughs> so it was Dream Warriors, you know. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah. Oh, and, and maybe, what's it called? The, the one from, from uh the dream child or something the something something yeah. project yeah, Vin, yeah. Vin, vinnie what's that called the vinnie love kills by vinnie vincent invasion yes i'm sure that was on your playlist you have a sung, knack, by, you... sung by mark slaughter who would go yeah. on to found slaughter in 1990 mm-hmm. yeah i i know you too well i yep. could recreate your mixtape i could i could get a cassette from goodwill and recreate your mixtape oh yeah I'm, I, I'm sure you could i'm just telling you but I've uh, heard mixtapes to all this streaming fanciful nonsense. Man, <laughs> I'm old. Anyway, <laughs> I'm pushing fifty. What am I going to do? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I. But hey, John Carpenter's still out there making making. It's never too late. Is the point? John Carpenter came back at like what sixty nine to do Halloween twenty eighteen. Nope. Yeah, he's still out there doing concerts and stuff. And we talked yeah. about this with Greg also. It's like. And how the guys made it into his 70s, smoking basically a carton of cigarettes a day, I have no idea. But And uh, then Lemmy had powers, man. I, he just, I mean, John Carpenter doesn't even, for interviews, he doesn't even put down cigarettes. Yep. 
You know, I mean, he's just like, yeah, you're going to invite me here. I'm, I'm lighting up. You know, I don't care what the law is. Um, oh, well. So anything else, Jackson, you want to talk about? Um, just just little things here and there. I was I was writing down that uh, I, I want to check out stuff that Rick Rosenthal has done, but uh, I'm afraid it won't have as many knife, knife uh, throat slicings. Well, you'd be surprised. Uh, Bad Boys, I remember, being a good movie, which is his follow-up to this, starred Sean Penn. It, and it's it's got some brutal scenes in it because it's about juvenile delinquents and it's but it's it was I remember being a, it being a good film. Yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with anything other than Halloween Resurrection from him. So maybe I need to cleanse the, the palate a little bit. Well, he that. also did American Dreamer with Joe Beth uh, Williams. And that's a fun movie. I think yeah. that's a really fun movie. Yeah. And I have one more note. Uh, which is that uh, Loomis definitely needs to take a gun safety course because he is, I mean, even Sheriff Brackett. Waving that thing around left yeah, and right. Even Sheriff Brackett comments on it. He's like, what, will you put that thing away? I mean, he's loading it haphazardly. And when Ben Tramer's walking away, he's just waving it up in the air. And it's like, you should not have gotten your concealed carry thing. Maybe he's unlicensed. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, he's he claims crazy. he has a license in the first one. But yeah, he, he lies quite a bit, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. All righty. So let's talk about ratings and recommendations. And I've been the nitpicker here, so I'll go first. But, you know, I know that some listeners are screaming at me, but I give this an eight out of a 10. I call it a buy. I own it. I, I definitely recommend that um, if you don't own it, buy the Shout Factory Blu-ray. I, I think it's worth it. So Jody, what about you? I give it a seven out of 10, and I also recommend uh, having it in your collection any which way you can get it. But uh, there's some really sweet 4K re-releases of this coming next month, yeah. so that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, don't tell my wife. I already ordered them. She'll kill me when they get here, but I'll deal with it. Um, <laughs> Jackson, what about you? I'm I'm right in between you two. I'm at a 7.5. I'm surprised. I would have thought that that um, from the discussion that with the nostalgia and everything that Jody would be higher and that you would be lower, Dad. But um, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm right I can watch you. it and nitpick it, but at the same time, I do think as a whole it works. Yeah, I, I do think that it's um, especially got some, some suspense near the end. I think it just works right. as a whole. But I yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I, I I actually have nostalgia for it, not because I it came out when I when I was young or anything, but like I said, I have a pretty vivid memory of watching this movie. So, um, yeah, I, I really I really enjoy it. Seven point five out of ten. I I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the first movie. I mean, that first movie is just eighty five minutes of perfection. Like we mm. all gave that a ten out of ten last episode. So, yeah. Um, this is an effective sequel. Um, but yeah, it's a 7.5 for me. It's a buy. I own it on DVD. It's like the special edition DVD from like 2006 or whatever. Uh, but for this, I watched it on Amazon for this episode and, and the quality wasn't too bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely interested in the, in the 4k also interested in the, uh, the extended cut. I mean, watch it any way you can. I recommend it. Yeah, agreed. So folks stay put to hear who will be our next guest as we tackle halloween 4 the return of michael myers you know we're able to do this thanks to our generous supporters over at patreon you can become a supporter for as little as two dollars and fifty cents a month all proceeds go to jackson to help him get through film school and you can vote on our polls and vote on our horror oscars next year also suggest films to review and even be on the podcast if you want, and you can find more over at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. And we're on Twitter at fathersonhorror. 
And we also have an Instagram account, though I rarely update it, and a closed Facebook page uh, that we might open up one of these days. So, Jody, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you online, buddy? Uh, I'm on the Real Blood Podcast Network. I go by Jigsaw Jody on the show called the It's called the Cast That Drips Blood. Nice. Um, you know Facebook, all that, all the typical stuff. Good deal. Good deal. So, Jackson, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero Twelve. That's K A I N E underscore Hero Twelve. I dread that every time. Um, <laughs> but uh, and you can find my letterbox and YouTube links from there. Got new Patreon videos coming up on the Patreon, like a like a dab was shouting out. And uh, yes, we've got a great a great schedule coming up. We've 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 pretty much nailed down the the guest schedule for this this franchise review, and I'm very excited. I mean, we've got some packed episodes coming up. We do. We're also going to be on another podcast we've got That's coming right. up soon. We'll be recording an episode uh, for Retro Movie Geek for their Spooky Flicks Fest. That's so be that's coming. Yep. So I can be found at, at Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. So next up, we are covering Halloween 4, and we plan to have Trey Whetstone return and maybe hopefully the great Ian West as well. We love those guys. So tune back in. We hope to have a new episode every week leading up to Halloween 2021, and that will include a review of Halloween Kills. So say goodbye to the good people, Jackson. Goodbye, and remember, if you have to ask, will my costume get me mistaken for a real serial killer, thus directly leading to my very painful death? Well, it sounds to me like you've got a great costume there. you got a darn good costume, man. Go on out there. Just hope there's no Loomis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, and remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon, Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corpy, James McFeeders, Ashley Pinkard, Greg Amortis and Pearl from Land of the Creeps, Raul Rivera, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible. Black eyes, like a doll's eye. Why do I think there's an extra hell in there?